Hey, Rockbridge, so glad that you are here, however and wherever you are, whether you're in one of our six physical locations or you're watching digitally and you're watching online. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. Excited to be with you, excited to share God's Word with you. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 3 in part 2 of our series called R&R. But before we jump into that, you saw a bumper video, and hopefully you've been hearing at all, your, all of our six locations, just this incredible opportunity that we'll, this will be the third year we've done it, that we call Serve the City, where we just kind of go out in mass, in force, and, and bless our city and work with our various partners, our hope partners. And, and really, it's just kind of, it sounds cliche, but it's not cliche to us. It's lifestyle to us. Go be the church. And so we just have an amazing opportunity here at the end of the month. Want to encourage you to say yes to that. Want to encourage you to sign up and show up for that. Do it as a small group. Do it as a family. Do it as a couple. Uh, however, just it, or do it because, hey, I'm passionate about this and making a difference in this area for Jesus and his kingdom. But Serve the City is coming up. Encourage you, pray, sign up, and then show up. So, hey, as we jump into, and before we get into Psalm 3, as we jump into part two of this series called R&R, &R, I just want to ask us all like a, a question, right? Nothing, nothing crazy about this question, but when are you at your best? And, you know, just on your game where, you know, hey, your wife would say, your kids would say, hey, man, he's on, she's on, man, just, uh, you're at your best. If you're a Christian, we might say it this way, hey, when do you look most like Jesus, Right? And I mean, you know, some of us, we, you know, kind of have some funny things. It's like, you know, here's the dog that found uh, the, the big ten, uh, box of tennis balls, and he's saying, best day ever. For some of us, we're at our best when our day goes the way we want it to go. It, all of us have kind of this definition of a great day or a great, uh, you know, an awesome day. And when that happens, we're a great. If I have my best day, then I'm at my best. And so it's kind of based on our circumstances if we're at our best. And if our circumstances are not really good, then we're not really good. And, and, and so some of us, it's very situational or circumstantial. You know, how many of us have to get a shower, right? I mean, I, I, that's kind of me, right? It's kinda, if I don't have a shower, watch out. You know, so, so there's things like that that we talk about. I know some of you, you know, you love coffee, and if you don't have your coffee, you're like Satan incarnate, and, and uh, God bless you, and God bless co coffee, right? So we all, we all have these factors, right? We all have these, this criteria that kind of has to be satisfied in order for us to be at our best. Now, here's something awesome about God, okay? God is very committed to us being our best for Him and for His glory. You know, so, sometimes I think we think God's committed to bringing people to heaven. Yes, He is, and He has accomplished and given us that through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. But He's committed to us being our best down here in the mess of this world, and, 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 and some days are good, and some days are not good, and some days the coffee ain't great, or we can't find it, or we miss the shower, whatever. God is still committed to us being our best. Look at some of the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this, if anyone is in Christ, they've placed their faith in Christ, given Christ the steering wheel of their lives, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. The old me, the bad me, the unhealthy me, the hell-bound me has gone away. Colossians 3, Paul says it this way. You've put off the old self 
with its practices and have put on the new self and you're being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. Remember, we're all made in the image of God and that image has kind of been marred and blocked by sin and stupidity and the messes and the mistakes that we make. And God wants to bring us back so we show him, we show the world what he is like by how we are like. And that's us at our best. And this takes time and there's a process that God takes us through, but he makes this promise. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So God is committed to us being our best in the moment, in the here, in the now. Yeah, there's a process, but that's his commitment. Here's his word to us. That's his commitment. Now, listen, you may not be a Christian, or you may be kind of new to church or Christ, but all of us have a kind of a world that we live in, family, job, whatever. They need your best too, right? Your kids, your, your, your marriage, your business, they need your best too. So we can sort of combine the, the spiritual biblical with just sort of the practical, relational, and say it this way. Our witness for God, that's for Christ followers, our testimony for the Lord, and our world, our kids, our family, our spouses, our coworkers, right? The Little League team that we coach, they need our best self too. They, they need our best self too. And, and so the, the challenge for us and, and the question for us is, is this, right? We all know we kind of have these uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde moments that sort of the Snickers commercial has captured, right? If you've seen this, like this is before the Snickers and here's old Marsha Brady after. I mean, she was always the sweet one in the Brady Bunch. I know I'm dating myself, but this is pr this is angry, hungry, eat a Snickers, and now we're our best self. And it sort of, we all have that. We all get that kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And so here's the, here's the question we're struggling with, right? If God is committed to us being our best and the world needs the best of us, why is this such a battle? Why is this such a hard thing? Why is this such a struggle? Well, the, the answer began to emerge last week, if, if you were here for part one, if you weren't, it's online, happy to share it with you. But just for review, we said this last week, and we dug into this concept of Sabbath, but we said this last week, if you're going to live, or we're going to live our purpose, fulfill our destiny, be our best selves, then Sabbath rest will be a regular part of our lives. Sabbath rest, that, that Hebrew word Sabbath means stop, it's part of the Ten Commandments, and we unpacked a lot of stuff on that. Let's put it in a little more kind of a vernacular when we, we could say the rested me is the best me and we define the goal of Sabbath or the goal of being rested that we're refreshed spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally and we're in overflow mode so what comes out of us is not anger or bitterness or cynicism or frustration or complacency or meh. What comes out of us is Christ in us, right? So the problem, though, of why we can't get here or, or why we've got these challenges, the problem comes really because we don't know how to do something very well. And, and, and so this is going to get into, okay, we talked about last week, we need to take a Sabbath. This week we're going to talk about how and what needs to happen on or during your Sabbath and even many Sabbaths throughout the day if we want to be completely honest. And it all has to do with our heart. 
Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life, the paths, the courses, the the issues. So as your heart goes, your life goes. As your heart goes, your life goes. So something about what we do on Sabbath or what we do every day to some extent has to involve keeping our heart. 400 years ago, a guy, he's a Puritan named John Flavel, he said this statement. It's so profound, I couldn't improve upon it, so I'm going to share it. The heart of a man is his worst part before it is regenerated. Paul called that the old self. And the best part afterwards, Paul called that the new self. It is the seat, your heart, is of principles and the foundation of actions, the spring of life, as the proverb says. The eye of God is, and the eye of the Christian ought to be, fixed upon it, principally fixed upon the heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. He's he's getting all this from the Word of God. The greatest difficulty in conversion to get a person to come to Christ, surrender to Christ, give the steering wheel of their life to Christ, is to win the heart to God, to give your heart to Christ, to give your heart to God. That's the hardest part before someone becomes a Christ follower. And the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. So something on this, uh, about Sabbath keeping has to do with keeping the heart or getting the heart back with God. That's the point. Now, Flavel goes on and he talks about 12 different seasons. He wrote this 400 years ago. It's amazing stuff. 12 different seasons where we really have to keep the heart with special vigilance. And as I, as I looked at this, this 12, I was like, wow. Those are seasons when we tend to get drained or burned out. Those are seasons when the best of us is not going to really come out of us unless we're keeping our heart with all vigilance. He said seasons of prosperity because sometimes your heart gets addicted to the prosperity and moves away from the Lord. Seasons of adversity. He talked about persecution in the church danger, circumstantial needs in your day, in your finances, your duty. Sometimes work is hard on the heart. Sometimes work gets us away from the Lord. Mistreatment by others, trials, temptations, spiritual doubting, spiritual darkness, suffering. And when you get near to death, physical death. He said those are the seasons when it's hardest to keep the heart with God. Now, so some of us are like, okay, Matt, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about keeping our heart, okay? So the, the way the, the, the writers of Scripture, in particular Paul, talks about it, he says, he talks about our heart having eyes. And that's metaphorical. But our heart tends to look out and try to find a source, identity, take its cues from. Where are we looking for? For perspective, for purpose, for who we are, for how we are, for how things are going. So here's how Paul phrased it. He said, I pray, he's praying for these Christians in Ephesians, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be opened, in order that you may know the hope. See, your heart looks places for hope. Everybody's got hope or needs to have hope. You know what it's like to feel hopeless, right? He says, no, I want the eyes of your heart to find its hope to which he has called you. The heart looks for reward. And he says, I want your heart to look for the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Our heart looks for uh, power and strength, right? To feel strong. And he says, I want the eyes of your heart to look 
and find his incomparably great power for us who believe, who have given God our heart. So our heart is like on a search, right? For peace, for identity, for assurance, energy, purpose, meaning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's letting the eyes of our heart find those things in God. And so a part of our Sabbath practices daily, but definitely that, that set period during the week, however that kind of works out, we talked about last week, is that our heart would come back to realign with, fixate, focus upon God for these things. So we get a great example of how this works and kind of the progression or the process or the path of keeping the heart with God in, in Psalm chapter 3, which is a psalm written by King David. Now the interesting thing about this psalms is it contains a superscription. So before you get to like Psalm 3 verse 1, there's like a little title or a subtitle. Uh, and, and it's actually in the Hebrew manuscripts that we have. So this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this isn't just something we or translators added. This is in kind of the, the, the text that, was, uh, that David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, people, and at Rockbridge, we, we believe the Word of God is the Word of God. It's true, it's reliable, it's sufficient, and it's authoritative. So this is important. It's not something man added. It's something that was in the written, inspired Word of God. When David wrote this however many years ago. So it says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So his son, just to tell you what's going on, his sons rebelled against his father, and, his, and, and Absalom has won people over. David has lost popularity. David has lost the throne. He's no longer the king that God had promised him he would be. It's there's civil war that's about to erupt, and David has had to flee the capital, the holy capital city of Jerusalem. So David's not having a good day. David's not great. His relationships are not great. You know, he needs a lot of coffee. <laughs> and so let's look at what happens. Now, before we do that, let's be sure we meet ourselves in the Word of God so the Holy Spirit can meet us through the Word of God. Most of us would say it sort of looks like this. If I have a bad day... I'll have a bad self, you know. Have you ever gotten home or talking to your family and, and, and man, you're short with them or, you know, you, you, know, you don't have time, you, you're harsh you're, you're, or you get, you're argumentative or you get into these arguments at home or arguments with people closest to you and, and, and somebody finally calls you out on it like, hey, Matt, or hey, Dad, what is up with you? And you immediately, because they're getting your bad self, and you immediately say, well, man, I've just had one of those days. And, and, and I was, oh, you know, and, and so there is some understanding and compassion and sympathy and empathy that, that belongs there. But for most of us, it, it looks like this. Man, if I have a bad day, what comes out is my bad self or my old self or the old me or the worst me or the me I don't really want to be, but sometimes the day makes me be. You know, we get that. So David's having a bad day, okay? And then we would also say, man, if I'm having a good day, then... You know, my good self or maybe my best self comes out. That's what my family gets. That's what my neighbors get. That's what my job, you know, my workers get. So for most of us, this is what it looks like. Here's what you're going to see in Psalm 3. David's, still, David's having a bad day, but he's going to be his best self. So I think we can really learn from David. Psalm 3. Let's meet ourselves in the Word of God. 
A Psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Again, that's like the subtitle or the superscription that is in the Hebrew manuscripts. Lord. Now, it's hard to see, right? But this is the covenant personal name of God that a Jewish person would address God, sort of Yahweh abbreviated, but uh, it's that covenant name of God. It's not the man upstairs. It's not higher power. It's not even just God. It's like it's very intimate. It's very personal. Like we might say Jesus or our Father who is in heaven. It's that kind of language versus kind of generic, the, the big man, the man upstairs. It's not that. It's very personal. So, Lord, how my foes increase. Because Absalom, his son, has raised an army and gotten the people on his side to oppose David. There are many who attack me, including my own son, God. Many say about me, there's no help for him in God. God, you're not looking too good in this either. And then we get this little word, Selah, which is in the text. And not everybody agrees fully what it means, but it's something, maybe something musical, but maybe like pause. Let's be silent for a minute and, and kind of take all this in. But we're going to see how David is his best self even in his worst moment in life. The first thing we say this is, look, he looks up to the Lord versus out to his situation. He's, he looks up to the Lord versus out. And he lays it all out before him, though. He does, this is not like pie in the sky, rose-colored glasses. You know, I'm a Christian, so everything's got to always be good, and I've always got to be smiling. No, no, no. There's lament in here. There, there, there's anguish in here. There's complete transparency and honesty in these first two verses of the third psalm. But he is looking to the Lord his God. How he's looking is instructive to us for how we Sabbath. So first is... This is not looking to generic God, but this is looking to personal God. This is not the man upstairs. This is not, hey, hey God, this is Yahweh, covenant-making, covenant-keeping, God who parted the Red Sea, God who made promises to me and to Abraham and Isaac and the whole Jewish people, God who's going to bring the Messiah, God, Jesus, who's going to hang on the cross. This is that God. And so the question is, what name of God do you know and use? And for some of you, some of you, all you know is like your grandparents' God, but it's not your God, personal. Some of you, you don't really, I mean, when I say Yahweh or Father God or Jesus, that's kind of nebulous to you. And, and, and let me explain why this is so important and, why, and the difference. Let's, let's, let's imagine you're driving in your car, right, and your car breaks down, and you pull off on the side of the road. And you know you need help because there's no help around. And so all you can do and all you know to do is try to go out and wave your arms and flag and wave down a stranger. And you may find one, you may not. And the one that pulls over, you don't know them. And they may be making help, they may not. And they might even be like criminal or something. So there's all this ambiguity, there's all this uncertainty, but you got no other choice. That's option one. But option two is your car breaks down. You pull over the side of the road, and you pull out your phone, and you know exactly who you need to call. It's your dad, your brother, the member of your small group who, who, who can be there in two minutes. They know what to do, or they know who to get, how to help you. There's a difference in how you feel in those moments. Same circumstances, but it's all about like who you call. 
So David is not calling this unknown, ambiguous, yeah, I know there's a higher power. Yeah, I know we're not here by accident. Yeah, I know something had to create and design all this stuff, and I know there's a man upstairs. And yeah, I I went to church with my grandmother, and I know she had faith, or I I was raised in church, and so I know there's a God. But is it my God? So how you look to God matters. And we're talking about a very personal intimate God for David now the second piece that comes here and this is where so many of us in society and our culture kind of get off is we got to be aware of fake rest of escapism see for a lot of us Sabbath and rest looks like movies and social media but, but, and there's nothing wrong with that on the surface, but let's read this. No amount of vacationing, streaming, entertainment, social media, or social media escapism will give us true rest. Because it's just a distraction. Okay? So let's keep going with David. He, verse 3, he says, but you, so here's my situation, but you, Lord, personal God, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. That's a Hebrew expression that is like, man, I'm getting up to move forward in hope, expectancy, and faith. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Selah. Let's stop and take that in. What what he's doing here is his circumstances are not good. He's not having a good day, but he's going to be his best self because he is fueled by who God is. I'll even take it a step further on this side of Easter by who God is in Christ Jesus. That's energizing to him. That's uplifting to him. Circumstances haven't changed. Absalom's still in full-fledged rebellion. He can't look to Jerusalem. He can't take a poll because his poll numbers are not good. He can't sit on the throne and say, I have power because he doesn't. He just looks to God and he is fueled by who God is. Shield, glory, the one who lifts up my head. He answers me. He's fueled by that. He's energized by that, which is instructive for us because it teaches us something about real rest and what has to happen to really have a day off or really have a sabbath real rest is vertical me and god god and i my god it results from being in a personal relationship with the creator and the rule of the universe and resting in his plan for the world real rest is rooted in a belief that god is what god has told you is reliable and accurate and trustworthy real rest is rooted in a radical recognition that god is working his unstoppable, wise, and gracious plan that he will not relent until it's been done. His will has been done. Real rest recognizes that God's victory, especially the resurrection victory, is our victory. And and then real rest is looking up to God and beyond to eternity resting in the certainty of his power and his plan even though things at the moment may not be great, confounding, and hard. So he's fueled by God. And then look what happens. So I lie down and sleep. I heard a pastor say sometime, one time, the most spiritual things you can do sometimes is take a nap. Some of us are amening. Hopefully we're not napping during this sermon. But what he meant by that is sleep 
true sleep, true rest. It's like, man, God's got it. God's in control. Doesn't depend upon me. I'm finite. He's infinite. So David says, I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me, fuels me, energizes me, strengthens me. I will not be afraid of the thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. And it's like David is remembering God's commitment. Now, let's be clear, church. God's commitment is this. He is more committed to developing the best version of me than providing me the best day ever. Hear me say that one more time. A lot of us want God to provide us the best day ever, and that means A and B and C and D. God is more committed to developing the best version of you than giving you the best day ever. Now, let's, let's, let's look at what this might look like a little bit in real life. Let's talk about work for a minute. Because, you know, work can stress us out. Work can be a source of burnout, unrest, and lack of peace. Everybody's been there. Everybody understands what we're talking about. So let's talk about five people who go to work. Same job, same place. They go to, the, they go to work. All right, we've got Mr. Dollar, Mrs. Ambitious, Mr. Pleaser, Miss Selfie, and Mrs. Grace. All right, Mrs. Grace. So what happens, okay? Well, Mr. Dollar, that's a typo, I apologize. Mr. Dollar says, how can I make more money? Mrs. Ambitious says, how can I get promoted? Now, those thoughts are not going to produce a lot of peace and rest because we're looking for more money and we're looking for more power or more position or more control, right? Mr. Pleaser is saying, how can I make my boss happy? And that can be hard to do because people can be fickle, right? And hard to please. And Miss Selfie is saying, how can I get personal satisfaction here? I'm looking to my job to make me happy. But Miss Grace comes to work. They're all doing the same thing. And Miss Grace says, in view of who God is and his grace to me, how can I serve him and bless others here? That's the best version of ourselves. That's the version our coworkers need, our families need, our communities need. That's the version of us the world needs to see for our witness as we go and be the church. So real rest is not a feeling. It's a lifestyle. Not the result that th of what's happening around me, but a trust and a peace that I bring to the things around me that change the way I think about and interact with what's going on around me. So powerful, right? And then the Psalms ends, and it's like, man, it is now time to go. It's now time to go and represent. Look what David says. He, he looks to God. He says, God, let's rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. David's like, this is what he does. He's like, let's get up and go. Let's get up and go and be a blessing. I'm not looking for a blessing. I have the blessing, and I have rested in God. I've slept because God is on the throne. I've been energized by who God is, not de-energized by what's going on around me. Now I'm ready to go and be a blessing. So incredible, so powerful, so amazing. Reminds me of this incredible story that goes back to World War II. 
has to do with the Correct Craft Boat Company. It's a boat company that made ski boats, water pleasure boats, watercraft for Americans. Well, during World War II, we're past D-Day. It's February 1945, and the Allied troops are getting ready to finally take the fight into Germany itself. So this will be the first time the Germans have been defending their homeland, and to do so, the Allies have to cross the Rhine River, which is the historic border between France and Germany. They have to cross the Rhine River. And so General Eisenhower and, and, and all of his strategists realize that they need a, a massive amount of fast boats that can carry about eight troops or so and land on the, the bank of, the, of the, the German side of the Rhine at full speed and then deploy these troops very rapidly so they can start taking the ground and taking the fight to Germany. So the Department of Defense, and they, they start looking for companies that they can contract with, and they find three, and one of them is the Correct Craft Boating Company, and the, the contract that they sign and agree to with the government for this company is that this company will make 300 of these boats... And you see inside the factory here, 300 of these boats in 15 days. They normally make 48 in 30 days. Now, here's the thing about Correct Craft Boating Company. You know them today. You see like Ski Nautique. It's the same company. Here's the thing about Correct Craft Boating Company. They take every Sunday off and Sabbath. Nobody works for and so when the government comes and gives them this contract, they say, you're going to have to work basically 24-7. And they're like, we won't do it that way. We'll do it God's way. And we're going to take Sundays off. But we'll do 300 boats for you or 300 boats for the army. This is like the epitome of, hey, your country, the world, is fighting evil. And we need you to bring your best. And they said, well, we're going to do it God's way. We're going to take the Sabbath off. And we're going to rest. Six days into the contract, they've made 62 boats. And they're behind. The brother that's part of the company leadership, he prays and gets an idea to change the configuration of how they make the boat. And they start making these boats at an incredible speed there's three Sabbaths in between when the contract is signed and when the boats need to be delivered. So they're going to take these three days off. They get ahead of schedule. And the two other companies that the government signed with who, were, who was working seven days a week, they fall behind schedule. The government comes back to Correct Craft Boating Company and says, hey, we need you to make another hundred boats, but we're not giving you more time. And they say, we'll do it. This company produced 400 boats in 15 days, shipped them to Europe, and as they say, the rest is history. And they said, we did it God's way. If we're going to be our best we got to keep our heart with God so we can say, arise, let's get up and go be a blessing. You know, someone else got up after being with God to give us the greatest blessing ever. And his name was and is and forever shall be Jesus. It's the night before he's arrested. And he goes and he uh, prays, and he prays intimately with the Father. 
He comes with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He tells the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. While I keep my heart with God, my Father. Going a little farther, he falls face down and he prayed. And he lays it all out like David. He says, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He does that three times. Then finally, he gets to that point where, hey, it's time to go and be the best. Give the best. Bring the blessing. He says, get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. And he gets up. And about the time he gets up, here come the troops to arrest him, to try him as a criminal, though he's never sinned, to put him on the cross, though he doesn't deserve it, but he's doing it for you and me. And you know what? You know how good Jesus is in this moment? The man that sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, the traitor, the rebel, Judas Iscariot, when he meets Judas and Judas is put, pointing him out to all these troops, he calls him his friend. Jesus was at his best in his absolute worst moment. God is giving his best to you and I. In that moment, he's given us his son. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to, as we do so, we're going to remember God gave us his best to bring out the best in us. So as you take the Lord's Supper, a couple of things. Maybe you don't know God personally, but you're ready to. And you would say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your best, being your best. Thank you, God, for giving the best. I need that. I want to give you my sins. I want to give you the steering wheel of my life, and I want to receive your life as my own. And from this day forward, I want to follow you as best I know how. Praise God. Others of us, we just need to rest in what Christ has done. Be reminded that God will never outgive God. Be reminded that God has given us his best and rest in what he's done and receive what he's done and be refreshed in what he's done so we can overflow to the world that needs us like David's people, like correct craft and give the world our best. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he broke bread. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took also the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'll pray. We'll continue to rest and to worship and to receive. At Amen, you feel free to take the Lord's Supper. If you wish to wait and continue to pray and rest and be and talk to God, you have the freedom and, and the privilege to do so. But let's have a moment of Selah, right? Of pause, of remembrance, of refreshing in the Lord who gave his best, in the Lord who empowers us to be our best. King Jesus, we thank you and praise you. I pray there is rest over every soul listening right now. 
I pray, God, we're reminded of who you are and what you've done. I pray, God, that our energy, our fuel, our source comes from who you are, comes from what you have done, no matter what's going on around us. I pray, God, that we're our best selves as we go and be the church. The only way we can be our best selves is if we keep our heart with you as we Sabbath with you to receive all that you are in Christ Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen.